This week's episode is brought to you by Raid. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm, we're not that desperate yet. Uh, this week's episode is actually brought to you by Massive Spoilers. You have been warned. Hey everybody, welcome to a special episode of Nexus at Night. As you know, we're... We are just amazing at staying on topic. And we so, are. in the spirit of our ability to, to, to speak about one topic for an extended period of time, we're going to have a special bonus episode of the podcast devoted to Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm Rootbeer. I'm Matt. I'm James. And I'm Chris. Atlas isn't here today because he didn't play Final Fantasy VII, the pleb. Wow, what a loser. I know, right? God. Has he played any Final Fantasy? I don't know. Uh, this no, guy. why not? So, what did you all think of the remake? Uh, I, I really I really like the remake. Uh, <laughs> despite its, um... Uh, well, uh. I'll say I really enjoyed it. It felt really... Um, I liked how the the characters were uh, a bit more fleshed out. Like mm -hmm. in the original game, uh, Barrett is pretty cartoony. I like, uh, like you know, like an actual person. Uh, like he had, he had a lot of depth to him. Uh, I like how Cloud didn't try to come off as cool. I like how he came off as mostly just awkward. Yeah, uh, I know. Um, That's what he thinks cool is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I like, and I like that. Uh, like how uh, Aerith and Tifa were done, yeah. Aerith especially, I think she's like a huge step up from how she how she was in the original game as well. Mm -hmm. uh, those those are just some uh, initial takeaways. Uh, combat felt really smooth too. Yeah, I mostly felt, got used to it. Yeah, I Sorry. mostly felt the same. Like I like a lot of the extended character development. We got to know Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse a lot more. You know, we got to see more of Midgar and the slums. And, you know, after you blow up the first reactor, you kind of get to see the consequences of what happened. You don't just walk past all of the devastation that occurred like, Yep, job well done, we did it. Yeah, I thought the game was really good too. And for me, I haven't played the original Final Fantasy VII. I just kind of know about it because uh, the things that people always talk about, uh, the spoiler things that people always talk mm. about. And I've also played, like, Kingdom Hearts, and I've also played Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, so I know stuff from, like, there. And it was, like, really nice, because uh, from what I know from, like, other outside sources not actually playing Final Fantasy VII, Cloud was not a very interesting character to me. Uh, I felt like he was just this really cool, emotionless person, which kind of makes him a bit boring, and that it's kind of like the characters around him kind of just carried his character until he got interesting or whatever. But I think it's a good balance in this game because, like, they... Like Matt said, they made him, like, this awkward person who acts like what he thinks should be cool, considered cool. Yeah, and, and it then, just ends up being really awkward. Yeah, and, and it's then, cool because like, it, it... It comes up yeah. every time he's expected to act like a normal person, too. Like, yeah, Barrett asks and, him his age and he just doesn't know how to respond. Yeah, it's like... What, what's your number or something like that yeah. uh and, and yeah and i like it because you know 
I didn't think many of them were interesting, but they kind of, you know, um, kept the whole people are kind of helping helping Cloud be more interesting, but Cloud himself is more entertaining now. It's like every single situation he is, is just the most awkward thing ever outside of combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of like, outside depictions of like Aerith and Tifa aren't actually very good if this is like what it's actually supposed to be. So I'm happy they kind of elevated their characters relative to what you see in like Kingdom Hearts or in other Final Fantasy VII related things. I really enjoyed this game. Um, as you guys said before, I really enjoyed how the characters were elevated um, past what they were initially. Um, they really took the time to figure out each character and they really figured out where they wanted these characters to be um, and they ran with it and I really love that. Um, another thing that I really loved about it was the sound design. Um, was A1. <laughs> um, just the way it fleshed out um, the themes of each character um, and economized um, the original themes that they had, like the, like for example, the original battle theme and how they used it in a bunch of different places in a bunch of different ways. Absolutely amazing, right. honestly. Also, Airbuster, <laughs> the song Airbuster. <clears throat> amazing. <laughs> also, like, out of curiosity, what was everyone's favorite and least favorite chapters? Oh god, my least favorite. Oh my god. Uh, oh man. So so I'm just gonna preface this right now. I said this game is really good, but there are some problems, mm-hmm. and a lot of those problems have to kind of do with the pace of the game, which I'm sure like most people have kind of realized it right now. Mm-hmm. And for me, it actually got to the point where I was... At one point, I was like, okay, I really don't want to do any more side content because I've literally been force-walking for, like, half an hour and I just want to get to the plot. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. So I think everyone's going to have some very similar least favorite chapters, in my opinion. What was that, chapter, like, eight or nine? The first chapter I really didn't like was when you're going through the second mock reactor. Like starting from when you're in that subway to the point where you actually blow uh, like it. So you, so that, yeah, that's yeah. two whole chapters of just yeah. like getting to that maker reactor. And, and like yeah, the, that the, felt really dragged out, that's for sure. And, and they also broke a cardinal rule of RPG where like in the in the subway one where if you go the wrong way and you go really long in the wrong way, there is, should be a reward for you. Uh, but there wasn't. It's just a dead end if you go the other way. Yeah. They even, like, yell at you yeah. about it, and you're, like, still going that way. And yeah, because like, nope. every single RPG has taught you you should go this way because there's something there. Yeah, um, I actually started going that way. When they said, hey, turn around, you're going the wrong way, I just turned around and went, and went out back. I'm I didn't actually it. finish it. I thought it was just Square Enix fucking with us, but it wasn't. Uh, for some reason, I was like, alright. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, because you're right, there should have been something down there, right? Yeah. yeah I was did. just like, I don't believe that there is. <laughs> I mean, I just think like those two chapters were not very good, because you're just getting somewhere. There's not even any character development going on there. It just like feels a lot of just walking. And I say yeah. walking, because like, they... This game force walks you a lot. 
Yeah, it's true. There's a lot, definitely like, a lot of a lot of points where you have to, like squeeze through something, yes. or like crawl under something, or yeah, walk, like, press whisk. a button, hold the button. <laughs> yeah, and Matt, you said like speedruns of this takes like six hours minimum. No, no, it's, they're high. They're they're more than that. Like seven. Is, like, let me let me check actually, because I yeah, think the times have changed since I since we last talked. About Regardless, it's kind of like I think a big part of that is just there's just a lot of really forced walking parts where you can't yeah. do anything. So for me, it was like right after the wall market stuff. So when you're in the sewers, right up until the plate drop, just that entire filler sequence in the sewers and oh, the train my. yard. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> okay, I think the train yard was okay, but it went on a little too long. A right. little too long. I think so. On, uh, we're looking at on easy six hours ish. Jeez. Uh, holy hell. Yeah. yeah. On normal, about seven and seven and hours, 40 minutes. Uh, that's without uh, major glitches. Yeah. Mm. I think, like, you know, the total train graveyard part and the sewer part, I think those for me were, like, still better than, than the whole subway. Because mm-hmm. at least you're getting some character development along the way. And honestly, I think the train graveyard place, they actually got the atmosphere really, like, done really well. And I think, like, some parts looked visually really cool with the ghosts and what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, But just that that subway, you're literally just running through a subway. I don't remember that place being, like, anywhere interesting in the original game. Like, you just just exited the train graveyard and just left. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think the thing that got me was... The sewers frustrated me a lot because everything there casts status ailments of some sort. Oh, God. So the fish put you to sleep, the Sahagans turn you into a frog, and all that stuff. So Oh, man, the Sahagans were so annoying. I know. Like, they, they just took so long to die, even with weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, you, I game over so much in the sewers. <laughs> I didn't. don't think I game over to them, but like they just took forever. I... Yeah, and so... It was just like coming out of the sewers where everything was tedious into the train graveyard section where you have to play hide and seek with a ghost. Then you cut out of it like, okay, we're getting to the exciting part, which is the plate drop. And then, nope, you still have another boss fight to do before you can finally move on with the plot. That's oh, true. But one other thing I enjoyed so much, and this is from somebody who played the original game, and I forgot to bring it up when I was going through it before. I I really liked how they took like random like trash enemies from the original game and turned them into full fledged bosses. Holy crap! Like everyone I I like watched or seen who was like playing the game throughout the entire game up until the wall market part, they're they're like, oh man, I hope the house is here. And, uh... <laughs> Hell house, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like Hell House was just a random enemy in the original game. <laughs> uh, what is this? Elagor, uh, uh, the guy on the chariot, was a random enemy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and like they didn't, they ch- cha- they did, they ca- they made it a full boss fight, and still kept the fact that you could steal a staff from. Yeah. In the original game, uh, Elagor, something like the bladed staff or striking staff—I don't remember the name in the in the original game—but it was like. Eris Beth weapon into like Junon Harbor, which is like well out of Midgar. Wait, was the bladed staff? Did we steal that off him, or did we steal that off the it's, ghost? You steal it off Elagor. Wait, was Elagor the ghost or the chariot person? The, the chariot. chariot. You steal it off the chariot. 
Oh, I could have sworn it was the ghost, but maybe mm. I'm just remembering it wrong. I know I stole oh. it, but I don't remember who I stole it from. Yeah, it was it was definitely Elagor, because I also stole it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't so, think yeah. about stealing it from him until well after the fact. Okay, look. <laughs> In a Final Fantasy game, you always steal off every boss. Yeah. Oh, it's like Final Fantasy IX. Like you just steal from the very uh, from Baku at the very start of the game for that Mage Masher. <laughs> actually, is actually the most important steal of the entire game. Honestly, I don't remember what game it was, but there was like a game where like you could get uh, you can get like early Genji gear off an early boss or something mm. like that. I don't in Final Fantasy Twelve, there was in the original Final Fantasy Twelve release. So I don't know what they did to the Zodiac Age, but in the original release, you could um, after you escape the mines the first time. You could go back in at one of the side entrances and find like a rare spawn, and you could just keep resetting this there the first time. And if you you could steal like an end game weapon from it, or like not end game, but like a, ga- a weapon that'll carry you like super far. Mm. And so you just steal th- you just steal um enough of them for your party, and one has the license for it, and you just can't lose. <laughs> it carries you just like a good portion of the game. Interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, I believe that I, I would assume that they fixed that in the Zodiac Age. No, wait, no, they changed. It doesn't even work in the Zodiac Age because everyone has a different license board. So yeah, it wouldn't even work. Mm. Okay. So yeah. what about favorite chapters? Hmm. I really mm. like. It really depends because Wall Market was great. Wall Market yeah. was absolutely fantastic. I know, like just beautiful. Like, I, the location was great, the characters were great, like, the side quests were really fun. I have... Wait, that's not my favorite, because I do have one problem with it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I, I've heard from, like, Matt and other people that they did it differently, and I actually think that, I think the... For at least this one particular part of all, the original game did it better, from what I've heard anyway, was... After you get all the stuff for Aerith to, you know, get the dress and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And then Madam M is like, yo, be a man, go do random shit for a while while she literally changes. Uh, I thought that was, like, a weird pacing thing. Because, like, in the original game, you had to do those side quests in order to actually progress the plot. Because you had to get, um... Because you had to uh, get Cloud's outfit. But in this right. one, it's Madam M saying, hey, yo... We're literally telling you to wait until the plot progresses. And I think that's just kind of iffy for me. They, but they do that kind of shit all the time in RPGs, right? Where they're just like, hey, go but fuck it's around. So... And you have to like wait for something. You have to like go do something yeah. in order for the But it's so blatant. It's not even like you're you're doing a side quest to like do something actually plot wise progressing. Literally, Madam M is like, hey, just wait. Uh, I, and I that's my biggest problem with the wall market everything else is fine personally I think my favorite chapter and the story would be the one where you go to the top of the, or uh, the chapter right after the plate falls ah uh, yeah that's a good one too Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say like the sequence during the plate drop I thought was really good too where you're kind of going back and forth between Cloud and Aerith as you know, I, Aerith is trying to get everyone out of Sector 7 while Cloud is climbing up the support pillar. While I like that too, I think there were too many floors on the support pillar. In terms of like, sure, like, realistically there has to be a lot of floors. 
but gameplay wise, it felt like I felt like that dragged a lot. Like there were a lot yeah. of floors. Yeah, it felt. It, <laughs> we'll get to a lot of floors. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, that, actually, that, a, it, that one is optional. That one's actually optional. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I, I think the 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 tower definitely was longer, and I kind of disliked some of the enemies that were on that tower. Some yeah. of the flying enemies are just really annoying, especially when you have like solo cloud. Yeah. Uh, Without Baron like, and Aerith, it's just... Ugh. Yeah, it's like... It, it makes you glad you put magic on Cloud every time. Yep. Oh, we need to talk about the combat, because I love the combat, I love this town of combat, but in my opinion, there's like two really big flaws in this combat mm-hmm. system that is going to be might be difficult to address in the future. Alright, let's talk about it now. Okay. Oh, but we're, don't worry, are oh, we oh, finishing? Oh, like, oh, oh, oh yeah, my bad, my bad. Alright, so, chapters, yeah. After the plate dropped because there's just like a lot of emotion built up there like especially with like Barrett and Tifa how this impacts them a lot and like mm-hmm. and this is in the original area. game in the original game everyone dies on that tower yep like every Biggs Wedge uh, Jesse they all die on that tower yeah, yeah. and they're just gone forever hmm. although they were barely characters to begin with sure yeah, they were basically just tutorial characters, essentially. Yeah. Which is important, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that, you know, it looks like, well, like, so when Biggs gets away from the tower, you're like, well, there's something, right? Or, yeah. Or not Biggs, I'm sorry. When, Wedge. Yeah, no, sorry. When Wedge gets away from the tower, you're like, that's really that's really big, right? You're like, oh, maybe, maybe he doesn't die here, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, you see... Biggs, then you're like, well, he's gone. You see Jesse, you're like, well, probably no hope, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's it, there's so much going on, right? Because like, yeah. I think this game does a so much better job at like fleshing out those characters too, which makes that that chapter play out much better. Yes, yeah, and especially like-, like even Aerith evacuating the citizens, it's like, hey. I spent an entire chapter doing side quests for these people. Kind of want to see them get away. Yeah. Also, like, Aerith was just very likable. It mm-hmm. made her very likable. She's not portrayed very well in, like, other mediums outside of this. Well, in the I original game, I think she was fairly poorly translated. So, well, ended up in coming, Kingdom you know... In Kingdom Hearts, she's, like, just a person with a bad voice act. So that's it. Oof. They changed it. They changed it in between each game, and it's still really bad. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I haven't played a lot of Kingdom Hearts, so I should just say that. I've only played the first few. Yeah. And uh, and my favorite one is, like, one that people, I don't know if they generally like it or not. <laughs> it's definitely a weird one. <laughs> no, that one is generally liked. Uh, okay. It's generally liked, because the story oh, okay. is really good. Yeah, uh, I like that one a lot. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I didn't like the first one when I played it as a kid that, that much. I just thought it was really easy. Okay. And the second one was so, like, seeing Barrett get so upset, especially, like, with the voice acting is great. So, with seeing him get so upset and just, like... Because I actually saw the scene uh, later where it's kind of like Barrett is just shouting, Biggs, Wedge, Jesse. Yeah, you saw it in, uh, in that stream, right? Yeah. But then, like, uh, the voice acting that the voice actor Barrett uh, is adds a lot to it. And Tifa is, like, also very upset, and you can see that. And one thing I really appreciate about this game... Uh, what they did with uh, Cloud's character development towards uh, towards everyone in Sector 7 and how it's kind of like, you know, he doesn't care. 
but it slowly makes him start changing to care about them but it doesn't like you know he kind of doesn't have like this moment where he suddenly starts caring it's a very mm-hmm. slow build up to the point where you can almost kind of miss it when he starts changing everything and that's I think... also go ahead that's also why i also really like the whole uh when you go to the top side to get the stuff for just uh and this is not actually part of the original game from what i because uh, it's you you can really start like seeing clouds start bonding with them kind of like you know uh wedge is like why are you being such a hard ass uh, why are you being such a hard ass bro and he's like i'm not your bro and he just pushes them off but you see like soon afterwards after like uh, Wedge shows him around to like where everyone lives and stuff like that. Cloud's like, sorry about your ass. Uh, so he's starting to like build up <laughs> and everyone. But it's not like a sudden turn thing. It's like, you know, Cloud is slowly thinking about all these things. And it's like very underneath the hood. You know what I mean? It's not very It's subtle. Yeah. And you can see it, it slowly keeps building up, building up more. And oh, I forgot... There was that once, and this also contrasts another scene earlier on, where I think this was actually really done really well, where it was like, after Cloud finds out that he's not going to be on the mission for the second reactor, and Jesse, like, talks to him, and then how the camera works, I believe, is it it pans over, so it shows Cloud sitting at the bar, uh, and focuses on him, but then there's the table of Jesse Biggs Wedge on one side behind him, and the table of Barrett and Tifa on the other side. And it kind of creates this thing where it's like, Cloud has these people around him, but he's turned his back on them, pretty much, because he's mm. not trying to be part of them. So then after he walks out, this con- this helped provide some like contrast to the next scene, where the people uh, approach Cloud and ask, hey, do you know about Avalanche? Pretty much. And he kind of like is, give me the money and I'll talk. So it's kind of saying like, hey, is he really going to betray him? Because he's kind of socially turned, try- is trying to socially well, for punny reasons for the time of this video, starting to socially distance himself <laughs> from uh, the rest of them, even though they are really nice people and really care, actually kind of decently care about him. So, mm-hmm. and then you see like he later he doesn't sell him out. And I think that helps build Cloud's character as this kind of person who's like not just an asshole, but he just hasn't opened up yet. So, yeah. Small things. Fair enough. Well, small like that I think are good okay. in this game. So really quickly before we talk about the combat, elevator or stairs? I took stairs my uh, in my normal playthrough. Yeah. Uh, I... Because I needed to see if it was exactly the same as the original game. <laughs> I needed to see if they really kept you climbing 59 stairs. <laughs> and the, boy did they. And not only did they force you to climb all 59 flights of stairs, they had you actively slow down as you got higher and higher up. Well, yeah, I got just, tired. I just love how Barrett's dying. And, like, Tifa's like, okay, this sucks, but I'm still doing better than you guys. Yeah, I'm, I, one thing I really appreciated, too, while climbing the stairs is that they were uh, they removed a uh, slur that they uh, used on the stairwell uh, toward the end. Uh, they used an ableist slur, and I'm glad that was removed. Uh, yeah. Oh, very well done. Yeah. Nice. So uh, that's uh, something really small, but that you know didn't need to be there in the first place. And it doesn't really add anything to the game it being there. Like obviously, it, there's like what what could it possibly add? But like, uh, you know, if you're if you're redoing the game, it's hard to get mad about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are, people yeah, get mad a... about 
so many like small changes. Right. Sorry, go on. Like the the stare part kind of added, you know, just some like comedic character development to an extent, just the relationships between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I I wouldn't consider that padding because it's actually totally you pick the elevator instead. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so what were you gonna say about the combat system, James? So combat is great. I love the combat system. Uh, to preface this, I play a lot of games where where it kind of like has you control a party and kind of tactically move them around, which is kind of you know playing a party. So I'm like a big fan of Dragon Age, uh, Xenoblade, stuff like that. So this was right up my alley, and I was very, uh, I, I was pretty happy about the stagger system because I thought that was a really interesting way to handle it. But there's like a few problems with the stagger system that are just kind of like. Oof. And that's that some bosses or some mobs, if you don't have the right materia at the right time, and you can't switch materia in combat, if you don't have the right materia at the right time, it makes some bosses stupidly annoying to deal with. Like, Hellhouse is probably my favorite boss in the game. I just love, uh, you know, how it really kind of like plays with the elements and you swapping between them, as well as just the commentary that the the crowd and everyone is making during the time that you had to have like three to four different elements equipped then that height would be god awful and take forever and I've I've seen like a, a let's player that I watched actually do it and he didn't know what elements to use uh, or what to bring and it like took him like a good half an hour to down this boss or something like that I think uh, a, a lot of that was probably saved like an initial like in-house testing by the fact that it's Aerith and so everyone puts like every fucking casting material they have on her like the second you get even, Aerith everyone's like and here you go even then I remember for like Elagor when I first did Elagor I did not have wooden material equipped because nothing in that area really required I didn't wind. have break equipped <laughs> and I was like oh god <laughs> yeah so that's like the combat system is really great. And for the record, anyone who wants to play, it's like highly advised not to play it like, like an, play it like a direct action game. It's highly advised to control all the characters manually or like pause. But like, yeah, if you don't have the right material equipped, it makes some fights just drag on forever. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes yeah, uh... the weaknesses are just really inconvenient to use, like ice. That's true. Oh man, ice sucks. There are some. I what what, what like I, ice like stuns like the uh, the enemies, but there are some enemies where the initial hit will, or they just and so then they'll just, just then they'll just jump out of the ice, and you're like, well then. Hey, but at least that trivializes the Shiva fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that the, the stagger is, a, but the whole if you don't have the right shit equipped. It, it, you're going to have a really rough time. And mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of people complain about the slow combat from like reading review thoughts. And I think the combat isn't slow. It's just the problem of if you don't have the right things to stagger, it takes forever. Right. And, partic- yeah. Yeah. and particularly before you start getting all of your abilities and stuff like that and more materia, the early fights tend to drag on a lot more in the later fights, once you start having options open to you. 
right. And Matt, you want to take the part about the party members? Oh, yeah. So, the big thing that's, like, early in the game that I think, like, well, I'm really, first of all, I'm really glad I played the demo. And the demo pretty much gave nothing away, um, which I think is, I thought the demo, like, once I played the actual game, I thought they released kind of the perfect demo for the game. They even took out a part of the part of the main game where it was like the flashback to Tifa. They actually took that out of the demo, even though it happened in the Yeah, they took they they took out that the holograms. Or the uh the guy watching them. Uh sorry, uh what is his what is his name? Uh Heidinger. Uh, Heidinger. He- he- yeah, Heidinger. Yeah, uh they took out his like his scene there, which I thought was really good. Like uh, you, you know, it kind of, like, let the player know you're being watched, but the characters still had no idea. So, like, the whole time you were going through the second reactor, that played out really importantly, right? Uh, like, so, I thought the demo was great, and I'm glad I played it, because it got me really used to the combat. Where, uh, when I play, if I were to play the game raw, I would have a lot more getting used to. Like, mm-hmm. the big thing that comes out is Cloud's uh, Punisher stance. Using the guard action and Punisher stance, giving you a counterattack that just, you know, gives you a lot of stagger for free, basically. So yeah. good. It's and so good. There are like several bosses where the only way to get that stagger is to counter them. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in situations like where like using magic here is very good, but you don't have to use magic if you just you know if you just can't, if you just use punish or counter. Mm-hmm. And like for those of you who played, your magic doesn't you can't use items to refill your mana. So and benches don't restore MP either. So you need to, like, really manage your mana there. So that's something, too, that was... But the party members, though. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, my, my bad. Oh, okay. sorry. The, I thought the, the AI, while not controlling it, felt kind of useless. Oh, um, boy. Like, if you... Like, if you're not controlling Barrett, you kind of look at him, you're like, what are you even doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like all he does, all you do as Barrett anyway, outside of using commands, is spam or just hold down triangle mostly. <laughs> and That's then, true. And then, like, when, you, when you're just like, okay, I'm gonna press triangle to use my. Or like, uh, yeah. Aeris is kind of the game. Anytime somebody gets. Tab over them and execute the action, except one character, and this character probably has the widest delta from playing them or not. Like Tifa, while playing her, is like a god. Yes. And if you're not controlling Tifa, she's like not doing shit. Yep. And it's just like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna control Tifa 99 percent of the time, yeah. even though it's like really good to control Cloud because using Punisher is very. That's a hard agree for me, dude. And also, I've actually tested this out. If you go, if you go to Cloud and press Triangle to go into Punisher, and then you immediately switch to someone else, the Cloud AI will immediately do a dodge roll and exit Punisher. Yep, oh, it's really annoying. God. Yeah, so yeah. like pretty much the people who are best left to AI to control are the ones that um, have like a really simple attack pattern to do because like for Tifa you have to like constantly be attacking to make good use of her ATP game because she has the greatest ATP game but you really you need to always be attacking and then also people who have like really simple to use uh, triangle moves too so like uh, for say Aerith Aerith if 
opponents if just charge it up, fire it, and while that's going on, you can switch to someone else and start working on them. And then her triangle thing still keep going. And then Barrett, you just literally just press triangle and then you switch to someone else. <laughs> uh, for Tifa and Cloud, though, they have to like constantly like for Cloud, you have to stay in punishing mode. So that means you have to remain as Cloud. And for Tifa, that's just like a whole other story. You can't just like <laughs> spam triangle because you have to build up triangle again. You have to make sure to build up the um, the chakras and everything. So yeah, Barrett is like by far the the the, the quote unquote best AI character because he requires the least, pretty much. By far the worst because you need to control her. She's essentially she's when you're controlling at that point. A pure action. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Okay. So, Red 13. So, Red 13's AI, I have no idea what it was doing. Because, like, it's not like he's actually part of my party, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's about as useful as maybe, like, Biggs and Wedge when they were, quote-unquote, in my party, I guess. Yeah, but Wedge actually distracted the dogs. That's true. <laughs> like... The best thing I can hope from Red 13 is that he'll cast Kira at a convenient time. I'm upset they actually didn't add him as a party member, even as like a limited one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if he didn't have like as many gear, as many weapon choices, I wish they at least like added him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Would have right. been nice to actually like play as him. As opposed to, yep, you're certainly there. You, <laughs> you don't distract the enemies. You don't really do a whole lot of damage, but you sure can cast Cure when I'm at low HP every now and then, maybe. He can sure take his times walking on walls. It's true. Also, that part was really dragging. Uh, yeah, Hojo's lab was one of those. Hojo still gives me the creeps. God. Oh, I have a Hojo story. <laughs> Go, for for he is. Go for it. Go for it. Sometimes, like, I listen to, like, YouTube or something when I, as I go to sleep and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time I forgot to turn it off beforehand. So I was, like, going to sleep and I was, like, uh, sleeping. And then as I was, like, you know how you're kind of, like, waking up? You're kind of in that moment where it's, like, you're you're kind of in a dream, but not, but you can still kind of, like, you're, you're, it's like you're halfway from, from the dream and waking up. And I was, like... It was, the dream was, I was having this dream, and I was, like, slowly kind of turning into the nightmare. I was feeling really uncomfortable, and there was, like, someone talking. And then as I became more and more awake, I realized it was because the reason why I felt like that, really uncomfortable, and was kind of, like, squirming around, was because the YouTube uh, the YouTube app on my phone switched to a Let's Play of Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> and it was it was the part where Hojo was, like, talking to Aerith. <laughs> It was like oh. really, it was making me really uncomfortable as I was like dreaming oh, and starting to wake up, and I was like, oh, "What is this? Stop!" And like, I, and then there was like, the kind of part where like I realized I was in a dream, but I'm like, "Okay, I can make you go away. Why is this voice not going away?" <laughs> and then I realized it was coming to the talking. Oh my god! Oh no! Beautiful. That's happened to me before though, where I'm just like, "What's going on?" And I get up, and it's like. <laughs> Your YouTube has like algorithmed you to some like. <laughs> yeah, it's like it was it was Hojo, and I was like, feel, I felt really uncomfortable for some. Hojo reason. is 
so creepy. They I know. They did him. Oh man. Oh my god. And the fact, the fact of the matter is, they managed to like translate that creepiness from like the really awkward like two point five slash three D from the PS like from the PS one all the way over to the um, PS four and God. They did a good job, but god damn, he's so creepy. Yeah. They That's did a good job, job, which is why I hate it. <laughs> another yeah, good job is, uh, oh, sorry, another good job is, like, Don Corneo. They put Jiggle Physics in this game for one reason and one reason for that stomach. I know. That, that tummy. It is, it is so gross. I love how, like, Cloud just talks in his normal voice, and Don Corneo's like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, just nobody even notices. Like, Alright, so do we have any other general impressions about the game, or shall we start getting into the fun stuff? We weren't there yet. <laughs> are you, are you, are you talking by fun stuff? Do you mean the Nomura verse? <laughs> oh, oh my god! I, I have so a I guess I have a theory, hold on, guys. Hold on. Yeah. Let's, we're talking about whispers, right? Yeah. yeah we explain let's explain first, what's going on first. <laughs> so yes, all right. I am in so fact talking about the, the first major uh, deviation from the original game. Happens uh, when after after the first reactor and you're back in uh, sector five. <coughs> I think um, so. Where they decide, or Cloud decides, or somebody decides that they're not going to be part of the second mission. In the original game, Cloud is part of the second mission. They just agreed. To, he's like, I want to be paid a bit more, but I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. And he's part of the meeting for the second mission. Um, where he goes underneath the uh, pinball machine. Yeah. Now. This is the first major deviation. So the idea is that Cloud is, in this game, not going to go on that mission. But, well, this is also coincides with the first time we see these... Well, not first time we see these ghosty yeah. things. But so the first, the first time, time we, we, see we interact like, with these ghosty things. Yeah. Really. Well, the first time is um, when you meet Aerith for the first time. She suddenly freaks out for no reason, and then Cloud grabs her and sees all these weird ghosty things flying around her. Right. Which is, a big question is, why are they there at that exact time? Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm not sure I have an answer to. Yeah, but uh, basically just to introduce the idea of weird ghosty things that didn't exist in the original game. And, yeah. you know, if you have even a vague knowledge of the original game, you're like, huh, the hell is that? But Maybe that... they were there just to make uh, Cloud talk to her? Yeah. Because... Yeah. The reason why they were there in the first place, because, like, Aerith couldn't move because they were surrounding her. And then Cloud saw that, and maybe they moved her afterward to, like, keep her safe or to prevent her from talking with Cloud more. Maybe? Mm. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah. Because they need to not discuss things further, right? Yeah. Also, I think it's because, like, judging from Aerith's personality in this game, I think she would have actually helped and joined Cloud to fight the soldiers. Which oh, which they don't want to happen, right? Yeah, that makes sense. absolutely. All right, so let's talk about what these little ghosty things are. They're called whispers, right? Yeah. And what they effectively are is uh, time janitors or something. Um, 
Yeah. I refer to them as the FF7 original fan base. <laughs> One, <laughs> yes. Also yeah. that uh, they pretty much. So the uh, general, I guess, I guess this is just confirmed at this point. Is they pretty much exist so at the uh, to try and force the original events of FF7 to happen. Yes. Now, why is this important? Well, uh, and, and again, what we mentioned, uh, how Aerith's personality in this game, she, uh, she might have helped Cloud, so they basically took her away so that she doesn't run off and fight soldiers with Cloud at the very start of the game. That would definitely not be in line with the original storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Shinra, not soldiers, my bad. Oh, sorry, Shinra, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah no, Shinra the soldiers are actually different something else in this game, so we should not use that term yeah. except when talking about them. Good call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, secondly... Uh, the next time they show up is, as I mentioned before, the kind of first major shift in the story arc is when uh, Cl- Cloud is not going with them on the second mission. And, th- you know, this is even post um, going to Jesse's house and, you know, them coming back from that. Um, so the important thing here is that in the original game, Cloud did go on that mission. It was Cloud, Barrett, and Tifa, right? Yep. And if the ghosts are to force the original FF story, FF7 storyline to happen, Cloud must go on that mission. And they're, you know, what, what, however they decide what happens, right? So the actions of the ghosts in that entire town kind of force, uh, well, injuring Jesse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Wedge was already injured from the night before, so they're they're like okay cool we're clean on that and uh, I believe they also injure Biggs right? No, Biggs was already yeah. ahead, but like without yeah, Jesse, yeah. they were kind of short on people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, sorry, Biggs. Yeah, that's right. Biggs opened up the path. That that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, but so now that Jesse and Wedge were out, they needed they had to pick up Cloud, and so the the. Uh, thingies were like oh we did it we we we, <laughs> we did the thing <laughs> yeah we fixed the timeline we are the best <laughs> and then the so time, uh good and then the time after that it was like when they were protecting Aerith and cloud right was it uh from reno and the turks yeah yes and i don't remember so what happens in that church in the original? I think you must just escape out the back, right? I don't remember. It's been so I long. I never played. Oh. Chris, do you happen to know the first time you meet Reno, what happens in the original game? So in the original game, from what I remember, he's looking to take Aerith with him. And um, Aerith at that point asks you to do that, like do the, like, do the favor for her. Um... Though she doesn't say like, "Oh yeah, you like you'll do it for a date." It's more like she's just asking you to like help her get away from him, mm-hmm. and Cloud just kind of like, "Yeah, okay, sure, whatever." And from there, that's pretty much how like things are like are going. Except Aerith just straight up dips, from what I remember. Like yeah, Aerith so dips. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you have to, that Clouds ends up on the rafters, and you have to like push barrels down. To like help Eris escape, yes. And then you run out the top of the church together. That's what I recall. I could be wrong, um, but I, I remember having to push barrels. That's for hundred percent sure. <laughs> yeah, but definitely the ghosts weren't there. So now, so why do you think the ghosts were there? 
So the thing mm-hmm. about it is, so I think one of the big reasons was that if Aerith were to fall as she had almost done so, um, she would have been immediately captured. That's for sure. But the second thing is that Aerith in this continuity almost seems more like a fighter than she was in the original. So she almost, she, she almost likely would have stayed to fight Reno had they not mm. just yeeted her away mm. from that. No. I actually don't think so. I don't think she would have stayed and fought that. Well, let me phrase that. Not fight, but like be there where she isn't supposed to be. Yeah. She like she like, wouldn't just run away from Cloud. That is for sure. Yeah. She would have like stood her ground and maybe uh, like that would have caused alterations in the timeline. Who knows? That I'm not so sure about. Yeah. But I don't know. That was seems one of the weirder parts. I, yeah, I just like, assumed it's because yeah. Aerith and Cloud had to go away. Yeah. And Yeah, I think that is one of the problems with the whispers is like early on they kind of appear inconsistently and then you know knowing what we know about them later we start comparing to when they first appeared and you're like well, uh? my biggest this may be fast forwarding quite a bit but my biggest question my biggest question mark when it comes to the whispers is like the whispers prevented wedge from leaving the sector but he didn't die and then the next time we see Wedge, there were whispers around him, but they didn't kill him. Well, they were, like, slowly pushing him out of the tower, though. Yeah. Then why'd they disappear? Why'd they finish the job? I have no fucking idea. And also, as we can, as we can clearly see, they can literally bring someone back from the dead. Yes, they can. So why couldn't they just kill him there? Reno? No, 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 no. Uh, Wedge. Remember how, like, when no, Wedge was trying to back to life? Yeah, they oh. brought Parrot back to life. See, and, so and that's asked... something... Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, so what James is asking is, like, they can clearly bring Barrett back to life after he gets shanked by Sephiroth, so why can't they just poof someone away out of existence? In addition so... to that, in addition to that, they stopped Wedge from leaving Sector 7. Which caused him to get hit, but they didn't. But he didn't die. So yeah. let me let me let me posit this. So if you recall, their deaths um, basically are what inspires Tifa and Barrett to act, as well as kind of puts Cloud more so on the track towards you know helping Avalanche. Um, okay. So my theory is that. The, the Whispers needed them to think that they were dead, at the very least, so that they could spur, you know, getting somewhere. But I think the other thing is that as far as they go, their death is not necessarily important enough beyond that to leave them dead, if that makes any sense. Okay. So essentially it's like... You need to give them a reason to move forward, but you're also kind of putting them in your back pocket in case you might need them later. Okay, so that does actually make sense because, uh, like, they in- 
instead of forcing Cloud to go on the second mission by having Cloud, you know, actually join the meeting, they accomplished it by having Jesse hurt her foot. That makes sense? I do yeah. not agree about the back pocket thing. The whispers don't seem to be the kind of yeah. beings to do like, that. They're very the much way like they were described. It seems like there is a predetermined fate for the world, and if it deviates from that fate, the whispers will just show up to correct it. Yes, it brings up a whole mess of plotty, issuey things, such as when did these whispers start? In the original timeline where there are whispers too we just didn't see them or what the fuck's going on but yeah we'll get to the, the, the really number one stuff <laughs> well, is there anything else we want to bring up or can we just dive straight into the ending one thing first and this is going to tie into the ending just a little bit okay did anybody else find this Aerith really really weird <laughs> I mean like, no. in this- what do you mean so like okay, so I think probably what started like snapping me a little bit was the fact that when you see her, um, like if you okay, so if you are like really nice to Aerith throughout the game, you get like her scene. I'm at the house. Wait, first of all, which scene did everybody get? Because I got Tifa, but like, what did everybody else get? I um, also got Tifa. Tifa. Okay, so if you're really nice, Aerith actually shows up. In, um. And she tells you basically not to fall in love with her um, because it's fate. And, you know, it's like basically it's never going to last, like that whole kind of like thing. And she fades away in like, you know, basically like granular, like live stream essence, whatever. And that was the first time I kind of started realizing that this might not be like, you know, like base package Aerith. Wait, the first time? The first time you thought? This was like a confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I thought is like when when Cloud like you know when Cloud touches Aerith and then suddenly yeah. he gets like live stream flashbacks and then starts seeing these whispers. Oh, Second yeah, time right. is like when she when she touches Marlene and is like all of a sudden, Marlene starts getting nom flashbacks or something like that. <laughs> and also, like, if you read between the lines of everything Aerith is saying, like, she she makes a lot of comments, okay, about, like, don't worry, this is what's supposed to happen. So yeah. many times the entire game. I'm surprised that was the first time you were like, hmm, there's something weird about this. I love... <laughs> you, you, you didn't think it was weird when uh, the, uh, when the, you're climbing on the rooftop and she's, like, making quips and shit? It's, like, so different from the original game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was just them, like, you know, giving her more personality. But, like... I like when the ladder falls and she's like, shit. I'm like, wait, I'm the fuck I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this Aerith knows... Knows shit she's not supposed to know. Yeah, and that's and that's where I was kind of like starting to like. like I know I should have seen it before, but there that's so where it, <laughs> I mean, should have seen it before. But like, this is where it just slapped me in the face. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> the question is how much she knows, pretty much. Yeah, and also where does she know it from? Because the ending kind of like plays at it a little bit. And I really want to know if I'm like, if my assumption is correct, but like, you know, still that's something I wanted to address before we even touch the ending. Right. He was weird. 
So, is there any other comments, or shall we start talking about the ending? Let's, let's go to the Nomura stuff. Alright. So, at the end of the game, you know, there's the sequence in Shinra Tower where Sephiroth picks up Genova's corpse and does all the usual Final Fantasy VII stuff. But then, there's this big tornado of whispers that show up because time has gone really, really fucky-wucky. And so... You know, you go in, you fight all of these whispers, and at the very end of it, you have a final confrontation with Sephiroth. And after you know, the final boss battle, you kind of flash into the edge of creation or whatever. And, you know, they have their epic sword fight cutscene, and eventually Sephiroth's like, Hey, you know, we're at the edge of creation, we can, like, change the time, like, join me on the dark side, Cloud. And Cloud's like, no, you sure? There's like seven seconds left, you really don't want to change the timeline? And then Cloud's like, eh. And suddenly we kind of get a flashback to Zack's final stand, where he's dragging Cloud's comatose body back to Midgar and is ambushed by an army of Shinra security. And, you know, at the end of it all, he looks up and is like, wait, is that it? Hey, we did it! <laughs> and so... <laughs> Zack is alive now! <laughs> kind of. Yeah, kind of. Like, as far as we know, Zack is alive now. And then, during the credits, we also see Biggs waking up in the orphanage. So, uh... Yeah. Yeah! So, yeah. so we kinda, you know, was like, to the Final Fantasy fanbase that wanted just a normal remake, we were like, you want a normal remake? We give you Nomura. <laughs> Fuck him up. So pretty much, I... we destroyed the timeline. Pretty much, the supposed yep. timeline by destroying the whisper. Yeah. And so... one interesting part that we kind of glossed over a little bit was a uh, during the final battle against the whispers, you fight against these three particular whispers: mm -hmm. uh, a whisper that uses a sword, a whisper that uses fists, and a whisper that uses gun. Yeah. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It yeah. sounds awfully similar to the party you end up with at the end of that game. Yeah. yeah. So, general consensus is that those are actually uh, Cloud, Tifa, Barrett in the live stream from somewhere else coming back as whispers to make sure that everything is going as is as planned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. So we were like, let's just kill them. Yeah, I think it's like pretty. Uh, you have to have some big balls to take a beloved franchise and be like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just completely <laughs> trash the timeline you all knew, and <laughs> who even knows what the hell is gonna go on with the second half of this game anymore? Yeah, so pretty much nothing is set in stone. So all of the sequels are pretty much like in, in, within this timeline. Yeah. It's like the whole Star Wars thing, but they respected it a bit more. They respected mm -hmm. this a bit more than the expanded universe of Star Wars. Um, although the things that happened in the past, such as Crisis Core, are more okay. Yeah. Um, there were... We hadn't oh, brought I, this up before, though there were several references to Crisis Core. Yes. Um, cowards, just let Cloud hear Zack's name. Uh, and... Oh, I also want to talk about the whispers a little bit. I think mm -hmm. the whispers are a really good addition because, I, or in theory, is a very good addition because 
for new players, it's like an interesting plot point. And, but for people who have played Final Fantasy Original before, it provides something interesting to play the game for. So I think it works on both ends. It's just the people who like really just wanted an actual faithful remake of Final Fantasy VII who are going to be like, boo-hoo. In other yeah. words, they are the whispers. Uh, so, yeah. Nothing is set in stone. And kind of going back to the whole Cloud thing, uh, for the whole Zack thing, for people who don't know, uh, which at this point, if you don't want spoilers, you should have you should have already left a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, I'll like go back and add a spoiler tag at the beginning of this in post. Yeah. So like, uh, Zach was the uh, well, Zach was a first class soldier and was a very good friend of Cloud when he when Cloud was part Shinra because mm-hmm. Cloud never made it soldier, which Hojo kind of alluded to before he got yeeted away by the whispers. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so, what kind of happened is because of Mako shit, uh, Cloud ended up getting a lot of the memories of Zack, which led him to believe that he had all of Zack's accomplishments. Though he didn't have the personality of Zack because he, he didn't possibly know that. He just thought Zack acted like how he thought was cool. And that's why Cloud acts quote unquote cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end of Crisis Core, uh, Zach is supposed to die, but in, but we gotta get the scene after the whole edge of creation thing, where Zach lives through it and walks to Midgar with Cloud, and it is hinted that this is actually an alternate timeline, not the same timeline, but an alternate timeline. So we have three timelines right now uh, that we are probably aware of, assuming that this is also a separate timeline. There's these, there's the timeline from the original game. There's a timeline we're currently in right now where Cloud visits the Edge of Creation and is now leaving Midgar. And then we have a third timeline that was referenced, which is a timeline where Zack survives uh, the fight with the Shinra army. And this is hinted at because um, it, because they put this really in your face. So they, it's like they want you to notice, but it's not like super straightforward. Uh, there's like a package of something like an empty wrapper or something with stamp on it that flies in your face in the timeline where Zack survives. And stamp looks completely different from the remake version of stamp, suggesting that this may be an alternate timeline. Hmm. Uh, Did you think it was like the same timeline? Or? I'll admit, I didn't really pay attention to all the little details, so I I did kind of assume that there was going to be the same timeline, but again... who unless even knows they, what could happen? Unless they like jumped timelines. That's the other thing that is kind of unclear what timeline they're currently in because they went yeah. into the into the weird tear in reality or whatever, mm-hmm. and which brought them to like another Midgar. But like, are they in that Midgar or did they return to their own Midgar? Yeah, uh, and it's especially vague because the ending shot is of them marching out into the distance and crossing paths with. Zack and Comatose Klaus well, uh, returning the, to Midgar in the past. Well, the so, thing is... Alright, do you want to go James? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go for a second. So, for that part, it was like... That crossing over, I can see... Like, two, maybe three ways of interpreting it. The first way is... Uh, we all know that Aerith knows, knows stuff that she's not supposed to know. Yeah. And I think, like, the big thing with that scene, why they emphasize it so much, is that 
Aerith knows what's going on. Because no one else, like, everyone's like some crazy shit happened, but no one has confirmation of how big the impact of what they did was. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of show Aerith that, or show that Aerith was the one person who knows how big of impact they made actually was. Because no one else has any idea what's actually happened. Uh, the second one is like, it's kind of like a theory and kind of what I'm kind of hoping they're going to do for the next game, where it's going to be a split timeline or split universe game. Where it was like, uh, where it was like, there's going to be one in the remake timeline and then one in the timeline that Zach lives. And it's going to be like, because we, we know that it's established. Aerith knows what's going on in other timelines because of her realizing that they crossed over in a different timeline. Um, so it could possibly mean that we're going to play part of the next game in the remake timeline, but then it's going to switch to the timeline where Zack lives and play as Zack. And then they're going to be sending, in, and Aerith is going to be getting information from Zack in the other timeline. Which is like kind of a weird thing, but it's a mm-hmm. wishful dream. And please, Nomura. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, I'm pretty sure it's a different timeline, but it's just because Aerith is so sensitive to the live stream, as well as has a strong connection with both Zach and Cloud, that she was able to tell that Zach and Cloud crossed there when he, they normally would not have. That was an interesting theory. Yeah. So something I noticed when I was playing was there's actually a couple of different like things that are happening at the same time. So when they cross into that like portal, that almost seems like first of all just like a hub <laughs> for a bunch of different timelines. Like let's just start off with that. There's a hub of timelines here, and Nomura uh, his time travel. Ah, uh, Nomura, you crazy bastard. Um, but after they defeat him, and you know they exit at that. Well, okay. So let's go back to the edge of creation thing because that's kind of important. Mm-hmm. By choosing to outright reject what has happened, you essentially have already created another timeline. Like, that, that's already, like, its own thing. But from there, it's, it's very likely that, A, they crossed into a new timeline, but um, similar to what James was saying earlier, um, Aerith could have very well just sensed that this is a dip, like a key difference between their timeline um, and and this new one that they're in potentially. Yeah, we don't know exactly if they're. In, I don't think we know exactly if they're in the timeline they came from or in a brand new one. Yeah, no, that, that's why I'm putting up a hypothesis, yeah. not necessarily like, oh, this is fact, because <laughs> I have no fucking idea. Um, but it would also explain why um, Biggs is very much like not crushed by a plate and also um why there's actually another pair of gloves on that desk if you guys were uh if you guys yeah. saw that there's actually another pair of gloves on the desk meaning that might have actually been jesse yeah i think it was jesse's gloves so i think what they're doing is they're actually moving us into a new timeline where basically those three didn't die, but they got really like hardcore injured. Um, Cloud and Zach had, you know, gotten to Midgar, 
and Cloud continued to do what he would normally do um, within, within the Final Fantasy VII games. But Zack is somewhere else missing, which is why, A, we don't necessarily have to worry about their, you know, being a displaced Cloud um, in this new timeline. And also, B, why um, we don't necessarily have to worry about Zack not being present immediately. We can just kind of find that out in the next game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I kind of hope they don't do that, because I don't want two clouds in the same place. Actually, that would mean there's two clouds, there's two Eretz, there's two Tifas, there's two Barretts in the exact same place. Oh, God. Oh, I didn't even think about <laughs> you. Yeah. Or, so, or it could just be that, issue. you know, Zach, Biggs, and Jesse, and maybe Wedge now form a B party. That would be actually really cool, to be honest with you. Okay, look, they didn't even give Red 13. They didn't actually make him an actual party. So please. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, and I was like, Poor oh. Logo. I mean, I'd be okay with, like, you know, them making Zack an actual controllable, playable character, because Zack is so important to this Final Fantasy VII storyline. Give him his slot machine gimmick back. <laughs> <laughs> Cool thing about those, I really like how they incorporated the slot machine to the final scene or the final fight in a Precious Core. They added quite a bit to it, uh, especially since it's supposed to represent his emotions. Uh, yeah. What do you mean by that? So in Crisis Core, there was like this mechanic. Uh, it was kind of like a slot machine that keeps going in the background and it has faces of people that uh, Zach has formed a relationship with. So, for example, it's a there's like a picture of Cloud, there's a picture of Aerith, there's a picture of Sephiroth, and so on and so on. And if you manage to line up certain uh, three of the same person's face, you end up performing an uh, essentially a limit break based off uh, based off the character you got. So, for example, if you got Cloud, you would do Meteor. If you got Sephiroth, you would do Octa Slash, and so on. Um, but it's supposed to kind of represent his emotional state. So usually, usually when you get like three in a row, someone you get like a flashback memory of like a time that Zach spent with that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the final fight of Crisis Core, which is the fight against the Shinra army, oh, which yeah. you, you are, you, it is scripted to be infinite, so you cannot possibly win. Um, his what happens is you know uh, the the thing is spinning, and then you get three, you're getting three of the same, so it pops up like usual. But then you start seeing a bunch of scattered flashbacks of the people who uh, who who is going to be chosen, and then it shows you three faces of three people you know, and then the screen turns white, and then those faces vanish, showing Zach is coming down to like his last stand, where he is. He's he's pretty much knows he's probably going to die, so he's just forgetting everything that doesn't matter anymore, and just keeping the only things that do. So that happens multiple times as he starts all those all the relationships he has, they all start fading away because he's dying, so he can only focus on what he believes is most important. And then finally it comes down to like the last three. I think it was like Cloud, uh, Aerith, and I forgot that where the third one is. But anyway, Cloud and the person who doesn't exist, or it's the person I forgot, they disappear. But even though the screen flashed white, Aerith still remained there. And then it kind of, after that, it flashes forward a bit more, and you see 
uh, you, you play as Zach, but now he's like limping. He can barely move. And it's reflected in the game because he moves super slowly. He's limping. He can only, he can't combo attack anymore. He can just do one attack at a time. He can't use his materia. And you see in his uh, slot machine thing, which of course represents his emotional state and a state of mind, it's like kind of broken. You know, it's kind of like twitching. It's trying to bring down the third earth face, but it's not. And the other ones are also twitching. And then finally, when Zach finally dies, it brings up the uh, the screen again. Then it goes through a lot of flashbacks between him and Aerith. Uh, and then it finally goes white again, and then Aerith's face also disappears. And this is the point where Zach uh, loses and dies. Mm. So I really like how they incorporate that. Sorry for rambling on, but... Oh, it's, oh, it's I actually really good. like Crisis. No, no, very good. That's that's a very good example. I that didn't play Crisis really cool. I, I, yeah. yeah. I didn't have a PSP for a long time, and then by the time I had one, I was like just playing like Monster Hunter. Yeah, hmm. technically, uh, Zach is a fucking boss because he, he technically all those uh, limits he used because of that thing. Technically, he knows how to use them, so he can use Meteor, he can use Octa Slash, he can use a Chain Slash, which is essentially Cross Slash, okay. and so on. He also oh, defeated he... the three top soldiers at the time. That's true. Wait, did he? Did he beat Sephiroth? Yeah, you fight him in the Nibelheim reactor, I think. Well, did it? Yeah, but like, did it like Cloud beat him technically? Yeah, I think Zack might have lost the fight, and then Cloud like pushed Sephiroth into the reactor or something. I'm pretty sure he stabbed the shit out of him with something. He might have stabbed him with the Buster Sword. I can't remember right now. Still wondering how you you stab someone with something that looks so blunt, but okay. People have ribs for a reason. Yeah. What's that? Uh, to stop your insides are being crushed and being cut by something really big and thick like a buster sword. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. Nope. Apparently not. Right, no, right. so what's everyone's like? Sil- um, go on, Matt. Oh, I wanted I wanted to say something else. Okay. Sorry, and this is more toward the end of the game, and I didn't really know when to bring it up. One thing that I was thought was pretty interesting is that when you um, so in the original game you don't fight the first, so you know about Genova entering what? When do you first learn? I'm trying to remember when you first like. So I guess you know about Genova when you when you're like so you find out about Genova the same time as you do in the, like or you like meet Genova I should say mm-hmm. in the same in the kind of the same timing that you do in this game in inside Hojo's lab. Yep. And Genova's still like you know the main reason Sephiroth even shows up, right? Yeah. And uh, that doesn't change, but you don't fight Genova until um, you take the ship out of Junon Harbor to Costa del Sol. Uh, where you fight Genova Birth. I thought there was the a ar- boss fight with Genova in the tower. Because it does. Because, like, one of the clones does turn into the Genova. One of the clones? What do you mean? Like, one of the Sephiroth. One of the clones that Sephiroth was controlling, like, grabs Genova and then transforms into a big monster that you fight after he kills President Shinra. I believe that happened in the original game, just like that, too. Uh, I don't remember there being... I'm trying to remember the sequence of events in the Shinra building. So, you start off fighting double red dudes. Go blah 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 blah. A million puzzles that no one cares to solve anymore. Mm-hmm. Um... 
you fight the sample in Hojo's lab. Right? That still exists. Yeah. But... Mm, no. Um. Pretty much the only fight... When, so you fight... Um, the gunner going up the tower, I believe, instead. The tower that... Or the gunner that, like, falls to the ground in the elevator. You fight that on the elevator. Mm. Yeah. And then you fight Rufus. Oh, okay. Sephiroth just kills Shinra and fucks off. You don't have really any, like, contact with Sephiroth in the original game. Hmm. I guess I misremembered, or maybe this sequence of events happened later, or in a different order in the original game. I yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I, it is definitely... So, in the original game, you get captured, I believe? Mm-hmm. Somehow, some way, I don't remember what the circumstances were. But you end up being put in a, a jail cell. And that you, when you get out of it, you you find like blood everywhere, which was a kind of a gruesome scene because everyone's dead. There's blood everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like chasing the trail of blood, which you presume is Genova's blood, right? Yeah. Which in this game is like this purple goo. But yeah, you don't fight Genova in the Shinra Tower itself. You fight um, you don't fight uh, anything related to Sephiroth in there. You don't you don't inc you don't really encounter a fight with Genova, like I said, until the boat uh to Costa del Sol, where you fight Genova Birth. Okay. Yeah, I was like looking it up on YouTube and it seems like that's what's happening. Yeah. So, so I thought it was pretty cool. Like Genova and the Genova fight's like really um like a really key fight in the game. It's kind of like, like you know, the you it the Genova theme is like iconic, right? It, it really And is. I really liked how they changed up the Genova theme in the Genova fight until the end when they made it like the standard Genova one. Mm-hmm. Until like the last phase. I really liked that. I, the Genova theme was awesome. And like kind of the way they kind of touched up some of the music was really cool. Uh, like Airbusters theme that we brought up before, right? Uh, it's just awesome. So music they did a good job with in keeping with the spirit of Final Fantasy VII, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I big agree with that. Like, the musical direction in this game was just beautiful. Amazing. And I, mean, I still uh, hate motorcycle minigames to this <laughs> I will say, I didn't like the way they teased us with One Winged Angel for five minutes until it became actual One Winged Angel that you remember. I just didn't like how in your the last face. face, forehead. I just didn't like how... In your face, they were with Sephiroth the entire game. Yeah, he was definitely yeah, he was definitely uh, not as in your face in the first game. He was like mm. like known about right, and then yeah. like it's not until you like see him kill President Shinra that he's like literally like a physical. You're know, like, threat. oh shit, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's not like literally walking around, or I guess he's not literally walking around, but you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. You don't think he's literally walking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you Does that make sense? <laughs> you don't know that he's alive and w well until all the Genova shit starts happening. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, they were, when that one dude, I cannot remember his name. He's one of the executives. He's kind of like the chunky one. The um... uh, Palmer. Mm -hmm. Palmer. 
Yeah, when he was like going around saying like, "Oh God, he's here, he's here," I was like, "Wait." Uh, like I had a feeling, but like, like I had a feeling he was talking about Sephiroth, but like also, I didn't think that they were gonna go with something so like not in your face for Sephiroth. <laughs> Because, like, right? Like, Sephiroth is very antagonistic. Yeah. And then when they hit you with the revelation, I was like, yep, they did it. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it, but they did it. Yeah. So, shall we get into all our ridiculous crack theories to end this off? Obviously. <laughs> I have something to talk about, Palmer, because I didn't know about this until I saw this last player do this. But apparently this was in the original game, too. When you're in the Honeybee Inn, you can actually look through one of the keyholes, and you'll see Palmer there with the Honeybee doing stuff. Nice. Oh, yeah. Pa Palmer is patron of the Honeybee Inn, so let's say. Oh, that was the other thing that was weird. In this game, he puts butter in tea. <laughs> in the original <laughs> game, he put lard in his tea. Oh god, I don't know which one's worse. Well, are you sure it's not like a bad translation? Well, I don't know. But lard makes more sense, right? <laughs> does no. it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it makes more sense than butter. I've heard of people no? putting butter in their coffee and tea. I've never yeah. heard of anybody Who putting puts lard butter in tea. Who puts butter in tea? I don't know. Who puts lard in tea? Palmer in the original game. No, it's probably butter. Butter makes a lot more sense. I don't know, man. Lard isn't something that you would like eat willingly. But people put fat and stuff all the time. People put and, uh, butter in more things more of the time. Yeah, no, but not. <laughs> That's my point. Yeah. Anyway, that was uh, that. I thought was interesting. That <laughs> changed yeah, that was... a little bit. Palmer is an absolutely ridiculous character. It's great. I know nothing about this guy. Uh, do we find out more? Uh, yeah, you'll don't worry. He'll show up again. Okay. You have to uh, steal his plane at some point. Oh, the highway? Yeah. No, uh, no, 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 no. His plane. Uh, the... What is the name of that goddamn thing? It ends up not being able to fly, so you can only skate along the water with it. I vaguely remember that, but like, it has been probably about 10 years since I played Final Fantasy VII. What is the name of that dumb thing? I'm only an hour oh. into Final Fantasy VII original. What is the name of the seaplane in FF7? <laughs> oh, the Tiny Bronco. That was it. <laughs> the Tiny Bronco. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Good times. I guess the tiny Bronco is actually Sid's, but <coughs> Palmer's there next to it, and that's the fight I remember. <laughs> Palmer doesn't do anything in his fight. He just, like, shoots you or something. Yeah, something like that. Mm. Uh, I believe he can cast an annoying spell that if it hits the same character twice, it's a little annoying, but it's, like, never matters. But, yeah. Uh, don't worry, we'll see Palmer again. <laughs> in in uh, who knows what game? Probably the second one. Final Fantasy seven point five. Here we come. Three sixty five over two. They don't even have to call it Remit Part Two, right? They can just do whatever they want now. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I actually read a, a theory why they call FF7 remake uh, just FF7 remake, not uh, remake part one. Uh-huh. It's because technically oh, this is going to be the only remake part. That's why. Oh my god, you are that is that is the worst, but probably accurate theory. Annoying. <laughs> I fully believe that. Yeah, same. <laughs> I honestly okay. I will be incredibly mad if they use the fact that they're like blatantly just saying we're not going to follow shit as a way to like keep Aerith alive I would feel really cheated if that were the case that's going to happen that seems like the expected thing that everyone is predicting yeah I think think they'll give you a choice (sighs) my god that would be rude as fuck (laughs) oh my god you know, I really, I really think they're gonna try and keep Aerith alive as long as possible. <laughs> to be For really the sure. record, I don't know exactly why Aerith was killed, so please don't. Right. No, no spoilers for that. Nope. Okay. Just cool. know he, she, he just knows that she died. That's it. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Also, for the record, people, Phoenix sounds don't actually bring people back from the life. It's called KO. Yep. It's true. Yeah. It's like your Pokemon don't die, they get KO'd. Unless you're playing Nuzlocke, in which case they actually die. Alright. So, James, you had a theory you wanted to share with us. Oh, boy, yeah, man. So, the, pretty much, we decided to stick the middle finger to fate. So, now everything doesn't have to necessarily go as planned. And the big thing is, uh, Sephiroth kind of wanted this to happen because Sephiroth knows he always loses in that. So, in a way, he kind of baited us to uh, defy fate there. Um, so what this means is Sephiroth now actually has a chance to win. So for those two, uh, so there's a decent chance that he will be able to successfully get Meteor to destroy, uh, to destroy the planet. But if their planet, their world is destroyed, then what's going to happen to everyone? So in the timeline that Sephiroth destroys the world, uh, all the Final Fantasy VII characters they'll have to go to uh, a place where people go where their world are destroyed, which would be Traverse Town. Traverse Town. <laughs> and Traverse Town, as we all know, is the world where people go when their worlds have been destroyed in Kingdom Hearts. And guess who is in charge of Kingdom Hearts? Tetsuya Nomura. Oh my god, In no. my opinion, this entire FF7 remake is to link the world of FF7 and Kingdom Hearts together in a canon way. Thanks, I hate it. Alright, so the last time that he started this theory, I literally signed off of Discord in the middle of it and went to sleep. I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even let him finish. But now I've been baited to doing this podcast where he, he forces me to listen to the whole thing. This is awful. I mean, it makes Now sense. I had to actually hear this. That's how all the FF7 characters ended up in Traverse Town. But that means we have to do the same thing to FF8. <laughs> yeah. Time exactly. compression. I mean, technically, not, not. time compression happened, and they he actually, like, fucked the timeline in FF8 already, canonically. That's true. So. Already, time you me shit already happened. Was FF10 in, um... <clears throat> yes. In, uh, oh, was? Uh, yeah, I don't know Titus which was a little kid. Was Titus was a little kid. Uh, oh, something yeah, was a little kid, too. That. It's true. God. Well, it's okay. Part, the only it, redeeming quality of FF8 is Quisters. Don't at me. It's okay. It makes sense because Sin uh, destroyed uh, the world, and then everyone like doesn't really remember shit about that world because of Sin's toxins. 
Oh my god. Sin toxins is the answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I think that will be a good place to wrap this up. Amen. I have none that stack up to that. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not into listening to this. Wait, wait, wait. I avoided this the first time, and I still had to listen to it. Wait, Matt, how would, how would Final Fantasy IX end up in Kingdom Hearts? Oh, oh, never. I hope Imagine Nine remains pure and untainted by uh, Kingdom Hearts. That's too bad because Vivi, Riot, and Fujin are all in Kingdom Hearts. Well, Fujin is not. Wait, Fujin is an FFA. Yeah. Oh, never mind then. Okay, Vivi. is the only one, but he's also a generic black mage, so it's hard to it's hard to convince me it's the same Vivi. <laughs> no, they they, they use Vivi. Setzer's yeah, also yeah, 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 he could just have the same name. <laughs> same name, same name, same name. <laughs> Different character. Setzer's also there for some reason. Just him. Setzer. Why? From FF6. For, for what purpose? Nothing. Why, he, like, why randomly? He's <laughs> there literally to just do nothing with being an asshole, which does not represent Setzer. What? Why would you... You know what? I think they just put it in there because they're like, oh, people like FF6. Let's take this character that is not everyone's favorite character and just shove it in here. Yes, but in that case, it's very easy to explain how FF6 got into Kingdom Hearts because Kefka just managed to destroy the world like he wanted to. That's uh, true. Yeah. He actually succeeded in that. I yes, mean, he, did. he just succeeded in ruining the world, but then yeah, yeah, yeah. he wanted to destroy everything. Which, yeah. <clears throat> so then uh, the, the Kingdom Hearts timeline would be where Kefka succeeds in destroying everything. That's why they can't lose, use magic when they come to Traverse Town, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh There's no god. more magic, man. <laughs> oh my god. Well, Setzer doesn't do shit. And Setzer's in action in Twilight Town, and he doesn't do shit. Like, he's so irrelevant. It's crazy he's even a Final Fantasy character. Yeah. You know, there are people who, like, really like luck. Like, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, speaking of, and I don't know if we're going to keep this in or not, but Matt, you, you know, Oren, right? They actually came up with a really clever way for Oren to be in Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, that he's like a plot character. Uh, kind of. So it's like in the in the Hercules world, Hades wants to bring someone back to fight Sora with, so he brings back Orin from the dead. Wait, wait, wait! wait. But shouldn't Orin go get Orin so he can go do something? What do you mean? Because uh, I mean, Orin just goes to get people who need to go do something, right? It's his job. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Oh, he, he's dead he right should... now. Yeah. Like oh, I, oh, I see. So he couldn't get himself, so they sent someone to get Orin. Or Hades, right, so Hades, Hades brought Orin yeah. back. So H oh, Hades brought Orin to fight Sora, but then Orin comes up with like the most badass line to say, which is, "This is my story, and you're not part <laughs> of, and you're not part of it." To Hades' face, and then he fights Hades. <laughs> That's, <pretty laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> they've kind of reversed all of the roles on fucking Orin, and none of it's cool. <laughs> Honestly, impressive. I'm keeping this in for the record. <laughs> like, the, the, like when you look at FF10 and you look at Orin, and you, every so the big thing everyone thinks about when thinks of Orin and FF10, and I'm just kind of going off on this tangent because we can never stay on topic, so it doesn't matter. Uh, is that everyone's like, oh, he's so powerful when you get him, right? He like carries you throughout most of the game, and I'm like, he is powerful when you first get him, but he scales like shit. Secondly, yeah. his character is like purely there to tell Titus to go do something whenever <laughs> he stops doing something. Yeah. 
Orin's like, hey, stop. <laughs> Wait, is, is he a whisper? Could be. He he effectively acts as one, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So maybe whispers <clears throat> aren't that different from, you know, characters we've had already. Oh, oh my what, God. what were they called in um what were they called in FF ten? It was like the 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 dead people, those little the faith. things that you the faith. The faith. Oh, sorry, the the glowy the glowy orbs? Yeah. I forgot what they were called. Uh, they were they were going to the far plane. Uh, yeah. The unsent. Maybe. Well, I think there was a different name, but unsent works too. Like Orin's an unsent. Could he have been like a whisper? Are unsent whispers? Uh, I think yeah. So Orin is actually I don't I don't know the specifics because I haven't like looked into it that much. But I know that Orin's character isn't just like because Orin was um. The previous summoner's guardian as well. Yeah, yeah. Also has a connection to Jack, who is also a guardian of the previous summoner, who is Titus's father. Are we allowing spoilers for FF10 right now? I guess we shouldn't. But we already said well, the, the, the plot twist about Oren. Which one? The oh, in Kingdom Hearts? He's a no, well, he's the fact a that Oren is, uh, he's not exactly with us. Oh, I guess that's true. Uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I highly recommend that people play FF10. It is an interest. It is a very interesting game. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, Orin is definitely a weird care. Like, it, it, there's there's a lot that I don't know because I haven't really looked into it, and I haven't played FF10 in a long time. But I've been meaning, meaning to replay the remaster international edition Dark Aeons that were not released in the American version, and I kind of want to do this. But I really am going to be tempted to redo the whole monster arena, which takes too much time. So <laughs> I don't want to, kind of don't want to. But uh, yeah, so I, I guess we should probably not talk about it. But yeah, right. I do think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And I do recommend that if you haven't played FF10, uh, to go to go and play it. I do think it is very good. And play FF6, guys. Just play all the final. Me. Yeah, just play all the Final Fantasies. Yeah, just play FF6. Next is a nice now Final right Fantasy now. podcast. <laughs> Yeah, just play all of them. Four, six. You can play five if you want. Yeah. Oh, you should play eight too. Matt really recommends eight. I hate eight. <laughs> eight is okay. Eight has Quistus, which is which is basically the only redeeming quality of that game. Because Quistus but, is great. But it has a gun blade that can't shoot things. Hey, that's what I'm using in uh, Final Fantasy fourteen right now. Uh, you can you can shoot things though with the gun blade, can't you? Uh yeah, you have a you have a yeah, sort of. Yeah, well, squalls can't. It's just it it vibrates. You see. Yeah. Don't you don't you want in like an emo character like Cloud that actually doesn't All get right. better? The real problem with FF8 is that it's really easy for literally anyone to break the game, even if it's your first time playing. Well, I've heard that. I've heard yeah. that. Because like you're like, man, how does junction work? Let me try some stuff. Oh wait, <laughs> this is really dumb. And then you just turn <laughs> yeah. off random encounters for the rest of the game. But how's the, the story? Game, Never played eight. Eight? Uh, I really like the story of eight up through disc three, and then it becomes kind of wacky. Um, Time compression. Like I know the thing about like Laguna, because uh, I played the city, so I kind of looked him up, and I think that's very interesting what they did. Yeah. And this is where I'm kind of getting the whole you get to play as Zach in a different timeline kind of thing. But yeah, I don't. Know I, but I, about... I don't. I don't think that the story was the weakest part of FF8. I think the translation was pretty bad. Number one, 
again, Squall is kind of really boring. But uh, if they can make him more awkward, that would be very ideal. <laughs> Just give Similar him the cloud. To, uh, could, uh, he, he's ba- he's basically cloud, right? He's gun cloud. So why not, right? <laughs> um. Uh, you know, just giving more life to the characters would be really big, and uh, changing, basically just getting rid of the fucking, like, you can keep the junction system in some respect, but you don't want to punish players for, like, using magic, or, like, because, like, you want them to cast spells, right? But you don't want to, like, punishing people for using magic is a little weird in the fact that, like, you don't want to use magic that you, that you intend to junction, and also the junction system, again, like I said before, is just way too easy to break. I won't get into the specifics of how you break it, but yeah. play the game for a little bit and don't worry, you'll figure it out. Yep. And then, there. also don't give people the ability to just turn off encounters. I mean, okay, so, I don't even, I don't even know how, how your problem is that is, because there are some games, like FF9, where if you're on the world map, you can basically get no encounters anyway. Mm-hmm. Because, um... Apparently, or I, I, I don't, I, and I could be wrong on this, but there's a couple things in FF9 where you can avoid encounters on the world map completely. Mm. Like the first step you take in each, like in each like movement period, can't have an encounter or something. So people just like mash the step key, like the whole way to a location. I see. So that way you never have an encounter, or something, or like as long as like the a title is on the uh, screen, you can't get an encounter either. So, like, when you first exit the uh, evil forest, it says, like, Mist Continent, right? The whole time that says Mist Continent on the screen, you can't get an encounter. So you can almost... You can have very few encounters in FF9. (laughs) Something interesting they did, and I actually really like it, uh, for another game made by Square Enix, uh, Bravely Default, is that they actually let you control the encounter rate. So you Mm -hmm. can, like, increase increase the rate when you want to grind, and you can also decrease it to like zero if you want, if you just want to get on with art, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, usually in uh, Final Fantasy games, they'll, or I guess in uh, some of the later Final Fantasy games, they'll have like an encounter none thing that you get like way late in the game. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you just get something that says no random encounters as long as you have this equipped. Yeah, but like for regular default, you have it at the beginning, and you can control like, do I want just normal encounter rate? Do I want higher encounter rate? Do I want even higher encounter rate? Do I want half the encounter rate, or do I want no encounter? I thought that was really nice. Yeah, speaking of easily breakable battle systems. <laughs> what, FF6? No, Bravely Default. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, the it was like, nin- you needed ninja with, like, Red Mage, because Red Mage got, like, this one, I think it was, like, when you were targeted, you get, like, extra BP, and then Ninja had this thing where it was, like, uh, you, you guarantee a dodge or something like that. So pretty much, you're do- literally dodge tanking everything while gaining massive amount of BP. Whoa, that's literally what you did in Final Fantasy XI. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, in, Final, in Final Fantasy XI, ninjas at level... Uh, I don't remember what level they got it at, but they had an ability <clears throat> called Utsut Semi that would say that the next hit you take, you dodge. Yeah. And it, the second one lasted for two hits. Mm-hmm. And you could subclass ninja, so any class could have a ninja at 37. Yeah. That's pretty much what they did in Bravely Default. The yeah. original one it's the same shit. Uh, so we plug Default. our social media for the podcast? Oh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have just devolved into oh, our Lord. after podcast conversation. 
I mean, sorry. it's all an X, all RPG. It's somewhat. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talking about Final Fantasy and or Bravely Default. Which <laughs> so uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Matt. Uh, you can find me at Wiggums, two G's, two Z's. You can find me, Root Beer, at Plasma Eclipse. Uh, you can ask these guys for me because I, I don't use social media. And also, if you guys want more of this, bother the hell out of Atlas. Maybe we can change the podcast to a Final Fantasy podcast. He would love that, so wow. please send him a lot of... <laughs> wow. <laughs> please do. <laughs> he would love that, trust me. Yeah. And I'm Chris. Um, I'm Chris. Um, you can find me on Twitter at silver underscore chariot seven. And thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Uh,